These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles in whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare." Father, we love you. We thank you for calling us here tonight. We thank you for your will for us, your plan for us, and that we're part of a much bigger plan for the entire world. We trust you. We rest in you tonight. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Good evening. Good to see you all. It really is beautiful outside. And one day, should St. Bart's have a place like this, we could put like an outdoor chapel or something out there. So just next time, you know, yeah, clap, 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 there you go. Um, I'm so glad to see you all, seriously. I know there's a Cowboys game on and the weather's gorgeous, so strike two, Jay. But tonight, I I really want to pick up where we left off last week. If you weren't here last week, that's okay. The sermon didn't get recorded. Is that still true? It didn't, okay. So, you know, it's cool. No big deal. NBD, which is a thing children uh, type to each other when they're texting. Or NP, which means no problem. I didn't know that. <laughs> Learned that this weekend. All right. So last weekend, we, we were in the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations was, is put together five different poems, acrostic poems, put together in this book to lament over, to remember, so that the people of Israel would not forget the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, all of these terrible, horrible things that happened because the people of Israel sought after false gods. And we singled out one of them, Baal or Baal, as some of my very educated friends reminded me Wednesday night at pastorate. So the people of Israel, when they experienced anxiety over their livelihood, because Baal was the god of what? Rain, fertility, all that kind of stuff. And the promised land was a piece of land that didn't have a ton of natural rivers flowing through it. In fact, there's, there's one river, the Jordan River, that flows from the north. And then there's the Sea of Galilee, which is beautiful. And then there's another sea called the Dead Sea, and it's called that for a reason. Because nothing can survive there. Everything will die. So much so that I was afraid to touch the water when I was there. All my friends went floating on the Dead Sea, but I was like an old fuddy-duddy and sat on the shore. So naturally, when the rain wouldn't come to the promised land, the people of Israel might experience some anxiety. They might think, what's going on with God, with Yahweh, this one that brought us here, the one that promised Abraham and gave us this land? And they might, in their uh, expediency, turn to Baal, the rain god. So last week, I'm just catching you all up, by the way. Last week, we reflected on our own lives. What are the things that we turn to when we feel our livelihood or our sort of self is being threatened? When we feel that anxiety, if you will. 
not capital A anxiety, but just, you know, generalized, well, that sounds even more clinical, just an anxiety, <laughs> not a generalized anxiety disorder. What do we turn to? And so we wrote those things down. We brought them up here to the baptismal font. And then at the end of the service, we drowned them in the waters of baptism. So does everybody follow me there? We all seek after stuff that's not going to save us. God's already sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us, but we still go over here and find other things. So we wrote those things down. We drowned them in the waters of baptism. Now, what did you notice this week about your life? Those of you who were here, who did go through that sort of moment of repentance, that moment of identifying your false gods. Take a moment, just reflect on your week. And in maybe like one or two, at the most three, words, just call out what you experienced this week after you had identified those things and repented of them and, and after we drowned them. I love the drowning. What, just anybody, what did you experience? One or a couple words. It's not normal in an Anglican service to talk back to the priest, but here I am saying, oh, that you would speak out to me one, two, three words. You know, if you'll turn to your page uh, seven in your bullet, just kidding. Anybody? It's okay if you don't want to say it. Just maybe hold it in your mind. What? Not you experience knowledge? Good. Okay. Good. What else? Encouragement. Peace. Golly, y'all are way better than me. You're kind of undermining my sermon now. Just kidding. Awareness, good. Anybody else? Went back to the stuff. Went, oh, there we go. boy, Ray. Okay. I did not give him $5. So a variety of answers from a variety of people. And we did experience knowledge and encouragement because we thought, wait a minute. These things are still present to us, but because of the cross of Christ, they don't have power over us, over us any longer unless we give them power, unless we go back to them. But odds are that some of us, if you're like me, so echoey right now, odds are if you're like me, you may have gone back to those things. And you may have realized that the culture, and I'm not just talking about American culture, I'm saying the world, the air we breathe, is diametrically opposed to our efforts to drowning these false gods. You may have noticed that, wait a minute, I thought I drowned that thing. I thought it was gone in the waters of baptism. I thought it went to the cross. And there you are Monday morning. Look what's ready to greet you as you wake up. We may have even noticed that we have just patterns of living. We're like, oh, well, I just default to this. And so maybe if you're like me, you realized, I, I have to unlearn some things. My repentance is not just a one-time thing, though, even though that one-time moment is super important because it's like that Ebenezer. It's like that pile of rocks that the people of Israel would build as an altar to the Lord to say, this is where God acted. This is where he delivered. And so last Sunday night very much was an Ebenezer moment for me. But there's still a long road ahead. And isn't it interesting that we put those in the baptismal font? 
Baptism, we have two sacraments that Christ gave us in the gospel, holy baptism and holy Eucharist or communion. And baptism is the sacrament that happens once. Have you noticed every Sunday we have holy communion? Every week, every week, like clockwork. Some people celebrate it every day when they're in community with one another. We celebrate it every week. But baptism, unless you're lucky enough, as, as I have been, to have been a Baptist or some other denomination like that at some point in your life, Baptism happens once unless you were that and you two, three times, four, maybe five if church camp was really potent that summer. <laughs> That's well, some of my story. But it happens once, but that one-time sacrament initiates us not only into the body of Christ, the people of God, a community. It's not just your thing, but it's our thing. That's why we baptize at a church service. But it initiates us into an identity. As soon as that person is baptized, Chris or I will make the sign of the cross over them. So and so, you are baptized and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit in baptism. You're marked as Christ's own forever. So there's a reason that we make the sign of the cross at, at particular moments of the service, but it may be in just particular moments of our lives. Because it's, it's an invisible tattoo, my, one of my old professors, Bob Weber, used to say. He said, it's an invisible tattoo that we just remind ourselves of whose we are and who we are. So baptism is that sacrament of new identity. And that's why it's so important for the children to come see the baptisms happen, because they're remembering their baptism. You're remembering your baptism when we participate in a baptism. Not only that, baptism is the sacrament that brings us into a pattern of living. So it happens one time, but it initiates us into a pattern of living that happens over and over and over and over again. That of putting off of sin. Putting under the water those little bales and putting on Christ, putting off the habits that we have. Why do I react this way every time this certain thing happens? Putting off that habit and putting on the mind of Christ, which doesn't just happen by osmosis. It doesn't just get uploaded to our brains like in the cloud. We have to spend some time with the Lord in silence. We have to spend some time with God in his holy word. A, a huge thing for me and for Anglicans and for Christians for that matter and our Jewish forebears has been daily prayer. Not ironically, as the Jews were taken into captivity in Babylon, that was the nexus and sort of the beginning of synagogues and of remembering daily prayer, where they would have prayer around the third hour of the day, about 9 a.m., if some of you are awake, and during the morning sacrifice. And then evening prayer about 3 p.m., about the ninth hour of the day, when there was the evening sacrifice. So baptism gives us an identity. It gives us this new pattern and again, it's not just me. I've got a new pattern, but we have a new pattern. And baptism gives us hope. It gives us hope because it gives us this ultimate a reminder that there is an, an ultimate reality beyond the reality that we experience right now. Doesn't mean this isn't real. Doesn't mean we're in the matrix and all this is going to go away and I just want to fly away. But it means that all of this is pointing to something more complete, more full, more perfect, more shalom, 
to use the Hebrew word. It's a reminder that in, in the parlance of Jeremiah in this letter that he writes to the exiles, that the 70 years will be up soon for Babylon. Now think about Babylon. Babylon in biblical imagery, especially in apocalyptic literature like in the book of Revelation, is the enemy. It's the essence of unfaithfulness, of forgetting God, of, of adultery against God. So all the things that Israel did, Judah and Jerusalem specifically, that would result in the destruction of Jerusalem, those are really typified in the city of Babylon and just Babylon in general. So I want you to remember that because where did God send the exiles? We sent them to Babylon. So let's look at this letter. Remember your baptism. Remember identity, pattern, and hope. But let's look at this letter in Jeremiah 29. I love letters. I try to write letters. I'm not as good at it anymore. But here's some context for Jeremiah 29. This is a letter that the prophet Jeremiah writes. He's still back in Israel. And he's writing to these, the elders, the priests, the people, the, the leadership class, the ruling class that were taken away out of Jerusalem and Judah. And now they're in Babylon. And he writes them this letter because word had gotten around that there were some false prophets. And the false prophets said, hey, it's okay. Babylon's not going to be around long. We're going to get out of here in no time. You Be ready. Be ready to go. But Jeremiah wanted to set the record straight. And the thing that we see for these exiles is that they have kind of a new identity now, don't they? They were a proud people, the people of Israel and their land, people of Judah. But now they're not as proud because they're exiles. But does that change their core identity as God's people, as the elect is what the New Testament would call them? in St. Paul's writings. Does that change their identity? It's a good question. Let's look and see what happens here. So in the exile, we see that God has a plan. Now that is a great one-liner for a sermon. So I want you to write it down. In the exile, or insert your term, in the loss, because I want you to apply this to your life. We're going to try to do that while we're walking through it, not just at the end. So in the loss, in the brokenness, in the result of the bad, catastrophic thing that you may be experiencing right now, God has a plan. But guess what? It ain't your plan. <laughs> he laughs maniacally. God's plan for us in exile is not our plan. I've got lots of good plans. I'm a good planner. I'm actually not a great planner. But I have big visions and big dreams. And I can get excited about a lot of stuff. One of the things I was excited about this year was the Cowboys doing well. But evidently, that's not in the cards. No one tell me the score. God has a plan in the exile, but guess what? It's not my plan. It's not your plan. What is God's plan? It's not a quick exile. What is it? Look at verse 4. Through sin. Well, first of all, just, just remember, these are the words of the letter. This is verse 1 of Jeremiah 29. These are the letter of the words uh, that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to, Bab to Babylon. So remember that identity piece. 
They're, 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 they're dispersed, they're scattered, they're torn away from the land that pro- God promised to give them, that land, the land that God promised Abraham to give to his descendants that would outnumber the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky, but they're still God's people, even though they're in exile. Verse 4, here's the letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Just in case you didn't remember, this was not an accident. Bad stuff happens, boys and girls. God superintends. He watches over. I'm not telling you that he's making bad things happen to you, but what I'm saying is that in it, he has a plan. But here it says God sent them into exile. And here are the instructions. Here is the plan that God has for Israel. Verses 5 and 6. Build houses and live in them. Okay? Wait, but this is Babylon, God. This is like moving into the, the rival's territory. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and daughters and give your daughters in marriage. That you may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. What does this sound like? To me, this sounds like Eden. You're going to build a house. You're going to plant a garden. You're going to have kids. You're going to get married. They're going to get married. And God's saying, in a sense, be fruitful and multiply. You're starting over. It's not where you want to start over, but you're starting over, and I'm giving you a fresh start. And hey, guess what? I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply. Remember that pattern? So even in this, even in this loss, Even in this devastation, God has a sort of pattern or rhythm that he's inviting the people of Israel into. These exiled people of Judah. Still, their identity is still God's people. But this new pattern is different than maybe what they expect. But it's like a very old pattern, isn't it? That God would always have for his people. Why? Why would God want... His people, called by his name, with whom he made a covenant to go into this enemy territory and to build houses and plant gardens and plant vineyards and get married and have kids and yada, 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 and to multiply. Why would he speak to them in Edenic or an Eden-like command in a place that's very much not Eden? Verse 7. This is the answer to the why. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. What? In the welfare of Babylon? This does not make sense, God. Now think about your situation and my situation. Not in your tunnel vision narrative, but our situation as followers of Jesus in this world right now. God has promised a rest for those who love him, 
for those who are called to him, for those who follow his son, Jesus Christ, for those who are his elect. He promises rest to them. But do you know what he also tells them, you and me? You are like exiles. Peter writes that. And he's not writing to Jews. He's writing to Gentile converts in his first letter, 1 Peter. And he says, to the exiles scattered abroad. Guys, this world, as much as we love it, I love the world. I love, I love grass and trees. I love Dallas. Oh, my gosh. How many times did I tell God, I'm never going to live in Dallas? A lot. How many times did I tell my wife? Several. We will never live in Dallas. I love Dallas. But it's not our home. Doesn't mean we throw it all out. It doesn't mean we let it burn to the ground and rot. We don't let it go to the Biff Tannen uh, alternative his, uh, future that happens in Back to the Future Part 2. It's supposed to be humorous. But it's also terrifying if Biff were in charge. Let that be a lesson to all of us. Just because this world is not our ultimate home does not mean that we don't do what? Plant gardens. Cultivate. That's a metaphor for making culture. What kind of culture is God making in and through St. Bart's? What is he doing that we can't even see yet? What is he concocting and planning benevolently for people who are yet unborn, either of his kingdom or even alive yet. What is he doing? And what does he tell us? Seek the welfare of the city. Abraham was promised by God that all who bless him, bless Abraham, would be blessed. And that through Abraham, all families of the earth, all ethne, all nations of the earth would be blessed. You've heard me throw around this word elect a lot. Leslie Newbigin, bishop in India, Anglican man, Bishop Leslie Newbigin said this, that the doctrine of election is not that he chooses a people for himself so that they can then turn in towards one another and be separate. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. Rather, the doctrine of election is that God chooses for, him people, chooses for himself a people so that through them, the entire world can come in contact with the love of God. Seek the welfare of the city. Cultivate the culture of the kingdom of God even when you are in a foreign, exiled land. God has a plan in exile, and it's probably not our plan. Under all of this is hope. Remember, identity, there's a pattern, and then there's hope. Friends, there's hope inside of us. It's, it's God himself, the Holy Spirit. This gift, this down payment that St. Paul says in Ephesians. He's a gift that it's given to us 
to remind us that this is not the ultimate place, that, that our Lord Jesus will come again to rule and reign on this earth. But we have hope alive in us. That's why we put the bales to death. Because every time we choose a bale, every time we choose another God that doesn't say seek the welfare of the city, that doesn't say seek the blessing for those around you, but those other gods say what? You're the most important. Me, 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 me. And so we're conditioned to have this myopic, nearsighted focus on one thing and one thing only. And that's why these false gods are so self-destructive. And that's why we can have hope, because they're drowned. They've been sent to the foot of the cross. They've been conquered. They have power for yet a little while on this earth, while Satan runs free and attacks the people of God. But we have hope. Seek the welfare of the city. Pray for the welfare of the city. I know you don't like the prayers of the people. Nobody likes the prayers of the people. It's part of the service where we pray after the creed. I get it. <laughs> but it's our responsibility. It is our priestly duty as a priestly people. We are a mediating people between God and the world. So doggone it, when we pray, I want you to pray but I can't make you, but really do. That was a little hyperbole, but it is our job. It is our delight, and it is what does Jeremiah say? It's gonna be for our welfare, for our peace, for our shalom, and that shalom is but a mere taste of the shalom that is coming when our Lord Jesus Christ comes back. Hey, St. Bart's is a little outpost, is a little greenhouse, that is meant to cultivate the culture of that kingdom. So if you're here and you want to do that, that's what we're doing. And we cannot do it without God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is your joy to participate. It is my joy to see what in the world God is going to do next. So let me wrap up. Two questions for you. What exile or loss are you facing? Now, we're all in exile. We're all strangers in a strange land, if you will, until our Lord calls us home, until he remakes heaven and earth. But until then, in a smaller scale, think about your personal life, what exile or loss are you experiencing? Or facing? And the second question is this, in what way is God calling you in the midst of that exile, that discomfort, that pain, that loss, in what way is God calling you to seek the welfare and blessing of the city, the world around you? That world is at odds with God's purposes, but God wants you and I and us, a baptized people, to seek its welfare, that it might be transformed that it might be baptized, that it might take on a new identity, that it might step into a new pattern of living, and that ultimately it might embrace the hope above all hopes 
of all things brought together in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we live and move and have our being. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come and give us wisdom to see. Lord, we may be so numb to you that we don't even know what loss and exile we're experiencing. So we pray, Spirit of God, that you'd give us wisdom and shine light in us, that you'd teach us, come alongside us. As we do that, we beg of you to show us how in the midst of that loss, in the midst of that deficit and perhaps even catastrophe, you are asking us to seek the welfare of the city, of the world around us. Lord, we confess that our world has never needed the church more, perhaps. We feel that. Lord, find us faithful and use us for the healing of the nations and let it begin here in our own. Amen.